0: Citizens of New Hampshire could not get enough of our town. We felt about the play the way other Americans felt about the Constitution, or the Star-Spangled Banner. It spoke to us, made us feel special and seen. Mr. Martin predicted a large turnout for the auditions. Ours was that kind of town. (music) ¶¶ Oh, and welcome to Bestseller, where we read and rate the latest book at the top of the New York Times art cover fiction list. 20 minutes with us, and you'll know whether to read it or re-gift it. I'm Barbara.
1: And I'm Brian. Today, we're reviewing the novel Tom Lake by Ann Patchett, which entered the list on August 20th, 2023, and spent two weeks at number two, just behind Fourth Wing, and then rose to number one on September 3rd and has been back at number two for the September 10th and 17th lists.
0: Behind fourth wing again?
1: Yes, Rebecca Yaros' TikTok sensation, the fantasy novel Fourth Wing, would have had its seventh straight week at number one, but it graciously ceded that honor to Tom Lake for just one week and then pushed it back under its wing.
0: (laughs) Gives us a good reason to read some Ann Patchett. Yes. Before we get to Tom Lake, anything else happening on the September 17th list?
1: Yes, three new bestsellers, The Breakaway by Jennifer Weiner, Happiness Falls by Angie Kim, and one I'm especially excited about, The Girl in the Eagle's Talons by Karina Smirnoff.
0: Is that the girl with the dragon tattoo?
1: Yes, also known as the Millennium series. Stig Larson originated the character of Lisbeth Salander and wrote three books about her, which remember were published just after he died. So then David Lagerkrantz continued the series with three more books, and now we have another author taking up the series.
0: That's cool. So what fell off the list?
1: Well, Dead Mountain by Preston and Child tumbled off the cliff. (laughs) Also gone After That Night by Karen Slaughter.
0: Or should we say Karen's Laughter?
1: Ah, so you do listen to my little quips.
0: Your quips and your japes.
1: (laughs) Which is... What's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you listened to my quips and my japes. Also, the five-star weekend by Ellen Hildebrand, which we reviewed three episodes ago. I
0: remember it well.
1: Is sadly gone. After 11 weeks on the list, three of them at number one.
0: Even the best getaway weekends must eventually come to an end.
1: True. But if anyone still has that book in their to-be-read pile, I would encourage you to check out the 40-track playlist that we built on YouTube Music called the Five Star Weekend Playlist. It's a fun way to have all the music mentioned in her novel
0: ready to hand as you read the book. All right. Well, let's talk about our new number one. Sure. What do we know about the author? Ann Patchett was born December 2nd, 1963, in Los Angeles, the daughter of Frank Patchett, who was the police captain who arrested both Charles Manson and Sirhan Sirhan, convicted as Robert Kennedy's assassin. Oh,
1: impressive.
0: Yes. Patchett has published nine novels and five books of nonfiction, starting in 1992 with the novel Patron Saint of Liars. The Dutch House, her 2019 novel, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction. Mm. Bel Canto, 2001 novel, won the Faulkner Award and the Orange Prize for Fiction and was adapted in 2018 as a motion picture with Julianne Moore.
1: And we saw it last night. What did you think?
0: I thought the movie was great. It was quite well done. It told the story of the real-life hostage crisis in Lima, Peru in 1996, where a whole slew of statesmen were held hostage for about four months before their captors were executed and they were freed. Hmm. And Patchett added some details to the story, and it was quite compelling.
1: I think she added the opera singer who was caught up in it, and that was, yes, that was very compelling and dramatic. And, you know, it shows us the range of this writer. i I haven't read much of her. I haven't read any of her work until this novel. And looking through her nine novels, the summaries of them, they're all about different topics, different places and times. And that's kind of impressive in itself. Yeah. So Anne lives in Nashville Ooh. with her husband, Carl Vandavender, a physician. She opened a bookstore in Nashville called Parnassus Books back in 2011. The tagline, Independent Bookstore for Independent People. Which I find a little exclusionary. Like, what if I have codependency issues? Are they going <laughs> to card me at the door? Do they let you bring your little kids in who are dependents, not independents, by definition?
0: Well, if they don't, then it would be an adult bookstore, which it is not. <laughs> and I don't think that's what they're trying to do. Well,
1: I will tell you that, fortunately, they do let pet... Dependence, in, I believe, because when you go on the website of the bookstore, there's dogs all over the place.
0: Oh, we should bring Finn. Yes,
1: we need to get to this bookstore. It has a nice website with a blog by Ann Patchett herself, which she's apparently not updating quite as much as when she started. It looks like once or twice a year now. They list the bestsellers in the store. What do you think is the number one best-selling book in her bookstore?
0: Uh, Tom Lake.
1: Yes! <laughs> Good for her. I wonder if everybody on staff... Is expected to read her <laughs> latest.
0: They're, pr- they're probably delighted to read her latest.
1: I would think. You know, I saw in the acknowledgments that Tom Lake is, according to Patchett, populated with the names of people she loves, including a large portion of the staff at her bookstore.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, so being a naturally suspicious person, I, I felt obliged to check it out.
0: What did you find?
1: She was being straight with us. One of the minor characters at the beginning of the book is called Ray Ann, and according to the staff list on the bookstore's website, the young reader's director's name is Ray Ann.
0: Never doubt Ann Patchett.
1: Also, do you remember the wardrobe director at the theater in the book? Tom Lake, by the way, is a theater company. Do you remember the wardrobe uh, director? Her name is Cat. Yes. Spelled C-A-T. Yes. So the store manager's name at Parnassus Books is Cat. Spelled C-A-T.
0: Never doubt.
1: And Patchett. Uh I get it. She loves her bookstore people. (laughs) And the store itself. You can tell from the website. I I found an interview where she says, I love recommending books. It is the greatest joy of my life. Which, of course, reminded me of Ellen Hildebrand. Remember, we found out she wanted to quit writing novels and become an influencer. That's right. In the interview, Patchett also says, I just go up to people and tell them, hey, let me tell you what to read. Do you work here?
0: <laughs> so let's talk about the book.
1: Yes, let's. So, Tom Lake, the novel is you'd probably call it upmarket fiction, literary fiction, relationship fiction, one of those terms. Mm-hmm. The readership is about 88% female. The book is 309 pages, and the audiobook, 11 hours and 22 minutes, read by Meryl Streep. Yes, that Meryl Streep, the winner of three Academy Awards.
0: So what I want to know is how did Anne Patchett score Meryl Streep to read this book? I would book? love to
1: know that. I mean, wouldn't you kill to have Meryl Streep read anything that you wrote? Right. So in the acknowledgment, she explains it. She just asked. Wow. Yeah. Her UK agent, Felicity Blunt, knows Meryl's friend, Stanley Tucci. So that's somehow helped. Patchett says in the acknowledgments that she got to spend two days sitting in on the recording sessions, and she found Meryl to be, quote, every wonderful thing I'd hoped she'd be. So what did you think of the audio?
0: Oh, I loved it. I hung on every word, and I'm not sure whether that was due to Meryl Streep or Ann Patchett.
1: So, you know, I don't usually listen to them, but knowing it was Meryl Streep, I I made a point of listening to at least a couple chapters, and it was a strange experience because you you turn it on, you're like, that's Meryl Streep.
2: Right. And then
1: a, a few paragraphs later, you forget that it's Meryl Streep. And then a few paragraphs later, you're thinking about it again.
0: Yeah. Well, what's so funny about it is I know what Meryl Streep looks like. Yes. And I've seen her in movies throughout you know decades. And so I could imagine her younger. She embodied this character. And that's what I was imagining.
1: Well, that's true. We don't usually know anything about what the readers look like. Right. So let's talk about the story of the book.
0: Tom Lake is structured as a story within a story. In the framing story, it's 2021, Hmm. and 57-year-old Laura Kennison is working the Michigan cherry orchard she owns with her husband, Joe. They are cocooned there with their three 20-something daughters, Emily, the oldest, who wants to inherit the farm and run it, Maisie, the middle child, who is starting her third year of veterinary school in the fall, and Nell, the youngest, who has just finished undergrad and desperately wants to begin an acting career, but can't because Mm. live theater is shut down due to COVID.
1: Right. So that's their pod, as we used to call it, or some of us used to call the little circle that you don't socially distance from. Uh, Just the five of them, the two parents and the three girls – But there's also another one, Benny, who is Emily's long-term boyfriend who lives down the road at his family farm, so that he's part of the pod as well.
0: As they go through the long, strenuous labor of picking cherries by hand, without the benefit of all the workers who would be there but not for COVID, they tell stories. Mm. Well, one story. The three girls are eager to hear about their mom's first career when she was a promising young actress in film and on the stage. In particular, they want to hear about Lara's relationship with Peter Duke, a very famous, very charismatic film actor, think Brad Pitt or Johnny Mm. Depp, with whom their mother was briefly involved sometime before marrying their father.
1: Right. So the book alternates between what's happening on the Michigan cherry farm in 2021 and the story that she's telling as they pick of how Lara got into and out of acting and what really happened between her and Peter Duke. The daughters are captivated by this story because of a phase Emily went through when, as a teenager, she somehow became completely and utterly convinced that the movie star, Peter Duke, was her real father, to the point that she wanted to find him and move in with him.
0: (laughs) We learned that Laura met Peter Duke before he was famous, when she was playing the role of Emily in a summer stock production of the classic American play Our Town. Peter, just a couple years older than Laura, was playing Emily's father. The theater company is called Tom Lake and it's in the Traverse City area of Michigan. We meet Lara's friends and fellow performers and learn all about the Summerstock theater scene back in the late 1980s with periodic breaks to come back to the present and see how Lara's daughters are receiving the story and how they're doing picking all those cherries. Yeah. So,
1: what did happen to Lara's promising acting career? How did she end up on a cherry farm? Was Peter Duke really
0: Emily's father? And if not, is she ready to accept the sad, boring truth that her real dad is an ordinary farmer, not a famous movie star?
1: For answers to these and many other compelling questions, read Tom Lake. As we did. Okay, so let's talk about what we thought.
0: Grab and Grip is our first category.
1: It had it had a okay grab and grip. I definitely enjoyed reading it and look forward to the times when I would be able to sit down with the book. I gave it a three for this category. I would say her writing has a cozy feel. I trust that she's going to take care of her readers, keep the story moving along, keep it interesting. I also was interested in both storylines, both what's happening on The Orchard today during COVID times and what was happening with her acting career back in the late 80s. So I stayed with the book pretty well throughout. What about you?
0: So for me, this category was strong. I Hmm. loved the slow spinning out of the story. I loved the tiny little reveals as you get acclimated to the story. You realize this is not the story, but a story being told within a story. I love the details of the young Lara realizing that adults are not all that with it. She's just such a sweet character that's sort of coming of age throughout the story Mm -hmm. and i gave it this category of four so the next one Mm -hmm. the next category is she got flair how did you feel about the writing did Anne patchett have some flair with her words i think she's
1: got some flair i i wouldn't say her prose knocked me over but it's consistently good. Uh, so here's some dialogue. So she, the young Lara, does get involved with Peter Duke, like almost immediately when they meet at this, uh, this theater company in Michigan. Here's a little bit of dialogue when they're, you know, getting up in the morning and have to make it to rehearsal. Peter says, you've got to be disciplined, either breakfast or sex, not both. <laughs> you have to choose and then lara's thinking i was making good choices these days which meant that by the time we rolled apart there wasn't even a moment for coffee <laughs> so she's a good writer there was another here's another example when la- later lara gets injured and she's on crutches and she says i was like one of those clever crows who could use a stick as a tool <laughs> Uh, and the last example I'll give of her flair. Now we're back in 2021, and it's the 57-year-old Lara remembering what her kids were like when they were little. Do you remember this? She says, they are reminding me now of the years when they were small, and I felt like the children would eat me. <laughs> Nell was, was eating me, still at my breast, and the other two rushed to crawl in my lap whenever I sat down. I thought... Joe will come home and find the three of them framing out a playhouse with my bones. <laughs> That's her flair. I thought it was pretty good. I gave this category a three, and I'll add one more thing. There's artistry in how she interweaved the yes. two time periods. Each time she moved from the past to the present or the present to the past, I was kind of looking forward to getting back to that period. So there's some inherent suspense there that she was crafting very well. And i also point out that she tied it in with the play Our Town. Yes, you know there's some good writing there. That's a sort of part of the literary quality of the book is she's drawing themes from Our Town, and and we're you know we're using literature to reflect on literature, kind of like our last book, Barbara Kingsolver's uh, Demon Copperhead, where she was reflecting on David Copperfield, the the classic novel by Charles Dickens. Yes. So I gave her a three for flair.
0: I thought her flair was strong. I had a couple of examples. One was she was describing her children when they were young and and sort of obsessing about this Peter Duke character who well, was a movie star and they did have those his movies to watch. And she said, they were loud in that piercing way of girls. And then it went on. Mm. We might as well have cut each girl a heavy slice of chocolate cake soaked in espresso, then stood back to watch them lick the plates. They were relentless.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just love
0: that. Um, and then another one, when she was describing her herself um, in when she went out to L.A. before, you know, when she was starting her film career. And she said, I popped a kumquat in my mouth the way bored girls in L.A. will do. The sourness was akin to being electrocuted, but I betrayed nothing. Maybe I was a better actress than I thought. Hmm.
1: (laughs) Quality is high throughout. Very consistent. She's a good writer for sure.
0: So I gave it a four. The next category is Beam Me Up. Um, So this is the world building category. So were you transported to another world? Actually, in this case, two different worlds, the Michigan Cherry Orchard and the r Town Productions that got her there.
1: I I was, and I I gave this category 3.5, and I'll tell you, I enjoyed being acquainted with both of the worlds. You know, you and I are pretty heavily invested in theater, but... There's always more to learn and, and learning about this this slice of what's called Summerstock theater in Michigan in the late is it the late 1980s or the early 90s I think it was the late no, 80s. 80s was quite interesting and and she developed that at some level of detail and I I had fun being there for a while And then the, the thing about the cherry orchard in Michigan it was sort of interesting. I have to say that I didn't get drawn into that world quite so much. I'm going to make another comment about that. But before I I do, let me point out there's actually a third world, if you think about it, and that's the COVID world. Mm. It's not just a cherry orchard in Michigan. It's during the lockdown that we all just went through and our novelists are one by one starting to write about. Now, I want to say that she didn't write about it in great depth and detail, but the fact that they're cocooned or isolated or however you want to put it is like central to the story. That's why they're talking to each other so much. And she's reflecting as a 57-year-old mother how happy she is that her daughters are all there. It reminded me of how, yeah, there were many, many things that we all hated during those lockdowns. But there were a few unexpected blessings as well. So that's kind of like the second and a half world that this book is about. I did want to say for the, the cherry orchard world, it didn't quite get there for me in the sense that everybody loves this world, this farm in Upper Michigan, and I didn't get it. And I think there was some something maybe in the way she wrote it that didn't bring that out. For me, I, I couldn't figure out why everybody, and I'm talking about theater people who went up there to visit as well. They were all gaga over this, and that's okay, but why? I needed a little bit more to understand, what is the draw of this world? Clearly, she lays out how much manual labor it is, how much responsibility it is. She has sections on how financially difficult and unstable that industry is. What's the draw? That never came across to me clearly. So I ended up with a 3.5. What about you?
0: Well, this was a strong category for me as well. I I was able to generate very vivid images of each of these worlds, and I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about them. And along the way, she wove in the kinds of things you want to teach your daughters. You know, so it's almost like a fourth world. So the the worlds are the children when they were younger. You're learning about them. The present in 2021. Mm her Laura when she was younger but there's also this world that she's helping them come to grips with the world as it is as opposed to the childhood fantasy world that they were thinking and this particular excerpt that i want to just read very quickly is about you know a young woman confronting the horror of learning about the casting couch if nell wants to get involved in theater and she's shocked and horrified that her mother once confronted someone who may have been suggesting or or not that she would be auditioning on the casting couch so to speak and and so this little excerpt Nell says it's terrifying and then Lara goes on it and now i see the tears in her eyes the idea that in order to get to do this thing that you really want you might be told you have to do the exact thing you'd never want to do i wish i could tell her oh my darling that's all behind us now those are very old stories about things that don't happen anymore But instead, I take her in my arms. I want to tell her she will never be hurt, that everything will be fair, and that I will always, always be there to protect her. No one sees us, but the swallows looping overhead. She puts her arms around my waist, and we stand there just like that, casting a single shadow across the grass. It's just so poignant that Mm. it's true. We have to tell our daughters that this world is still not fair, and you still have to confront this kind of thing. And that was what the Bonnie said story was quite a bit about so there's that world as well and I really I gave this category of four
1: well we have the me too movement which was after Lara's experience of theater and before Nell is trying to start her career but that doesn't mean Nell's not worried about it right and you're right that's like really interesting and poignant parenting that we're experiencing in this novel
0: yeah so there's an audio example from um, the children's childhood where they had some friends over and they were afraid to walk back to the next farm. And it turned out, after some interrogation and um, barely revealed secrets, that it was the pear trees. And so there's this, this great clip that uh, Meryl Streep reads brilliantly about how terrifying the pear trees <laughs> are to children in upstate Michigan.
2: Well, let's listen to it. It was true. They weren't allowed to walk on the road. In the summer, the pear trees were fine. In the summer, all that is hideous about a pear tree is hidden by leaves and pears. But once those disguises were removed, they were nothing but acres of murderous psychopaths emboldened by darkness. To cross the naked pear orchard at night was to run the gauntlet of death. The branches jutted with dark knives, child snatchers, child killers. Turns out it wasn't just the Nelson children and the Otts who believed this about pear trees. Nearly everyone who grew up on an orchard in Grand Traverse County had issues with them, at one point or another, and then they forgot, or worse, remembered, and thought it was funny. I gathered up all the children, theirs and ours and told them we were going to the dairy bar for soft serve. A week from now, the dairy bar would close for the season, and so we needed to get in all the frozen custard we could, even if it meant spoiling our appetite for dinner. When all of us were sticky and full, I drove the Ott children home, their dignity intact. It's the pear trees, I whispered to their mother at the handoff. I could see the memory. Cross Patsy Ott's face. Pear trees.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great example. And you're right. It's more than two worlds here because we're constantly learning about her parenting of them. It's a more complex book than you might think at first. Yeah. I did want to mention one other example about why I liked the theater world. There's a understudy for Lara who plays Emily, and the understory's name is Palace, and she's a young African-American actress and dancer. And, you know, you and I go to a lot of theater and so-called race-blind casting is the norm. A person of color can play any role, period, yes. and you see it all the time. We're talking about the late 80s. Not so much. So, so it's a very interesting exploration of what it meant to have a, a black understudy for what most people would consider a white character. And there's this remarkable scene where Lara gets injured and Palace has to step in. And Lara's in the audience watching their reaction. I'll just read it. Emily isn't black, I heard the woman in front of me say very clearly to her husband at the first intermission. Programs rustled all around, a collective murmuring like wind (laughs) in leaves. Mm. So that's a nice touch to think about what was actually happening in theater back then.
0: They were stretching and growing. Yeah. <laughs> so the next um, category is new best friends. So how did you feel about the characters for the for this category?
1: I liked the characters in The Orchard World fine. I liked them. I wouldn't say that they're my new best friends or that I found them that interesting or fascinating, including the protagonist of the novel. I found the theater people much more interesting. Mm. Peter Duke was quite a character so to speak Mm -hmm. not only was he famous and charismatic he had a a couple of wires loose and it was interesting to watch her try to interact with him Uh, he had a brother Sebastian who they called Saint Sebastian that I thought was quite interesting of course Lara's understudy palace was interesting Um, I only gave this category a 2.5 because the the family itself Joe and Lara and the three daughters did not grip me as strongly. Mm. Um, But I would like to give an audio example here of another character from back in her theater days called Uncle Wallace. And Uncle Wallace was kind of set up for us as a big television star. He had some kind of show that I couldn't quite picture, but he had enough fame that he was able to sort of go around and act in whatever, you know, all these different summer stock companies. And he would be the big draw. He would be the actor that everybody's recognized and came for and he was presented as a rather problematic character you know the sort of guy who drinks too much Mm. and shows up to rehearsal late but somehow always hits his cue when it's time to perform Mm -hmm. and she she creates this kind of amazing scene where his health is collapsing and in fact he's not long for this earth, and he collapses on stage, but not until he finishes
0: <laughs> the remarkable. scene. Yeah. And
1: she's right next to him on stage. Yeah, So why don't we
2: listen to that as our second audio example. I helped Uncle Wallace sit, and he kept his arm around me. This was not the way the play was meant to be staged, but people told me later it was very affecting. The stage manager sitting there among us saying his final lines. And he did say the lines, every last word of them, even though the electrical current I had seen before had him in its teeth now. I didn't move. None of us did. We used the full force of our lives to listen to what he was saying, as if the purity of our attention was holding him up. Uncle Wallace talked about the stars and how the earth was straining, straining to make something of itself, and how it needed to rest. In all my life, I had never heard anything spoken so beautifully, and I felt certain I never would again. No sooner had the curtain come down that he pitched into my lap, bringing up an endless convulsion of blood, blood poured from his mouth and pooled in the fabric of my white wedding dress, spreading, soaking. I had no idea how a man could lose so much blood and still be alive. I did my best to hold his head up while the rest of them ran to call for a doctor in the house.
0: Yeah, that was quite a remarkable scene. It was just very memorable, very dramatic and touching.
1: So what did you do? For, give her new best friends?
0: So for me, this was one of the strongest categories. Mm. I loved her character, I mean remember Meryl Streep is what I'm imagining I love her too
1: you mean so, you love the main character Lara yeah okay
0: she's just a little bit older than I am and I wanted to sit down with her hear all her stories get to know her children introduce my children to her I loved you made a new best friend I'm telling you <laughs> I gave this category a 4.5 so what about all the feels that's our last category uh, what was the emotional impact for you of this story
1: well, I enjoyed the book. I I did. But I didn't have a lot of strong emotional reactions throughout. My one strong emotional reaction was at the end. And I'm going to just say it was very negative. So mm. what I'd like to do is hear your feeling about this category, all the feels. And then do a spoiler alert alarm and talk about the ending. So okay. let's, I'm just going to say I gave a one to this for this category. Oof. What about you?
0: My score was a 3.5. It was a little lower than my other, my scores mm-hmm. for the other categories. This was not a story that had some big climactic emotion or one big dramatic overwhelming feeling. Mm. For me, it was quietly impactful. It was deeper and it was lasting. It didn't go out with a flare, but it went out, you know, like a quiet. F L A R E? Yes. It
1: didn't go out with that kind of flare. Okay. <laughs>
0: It wasn't like fireworks, it, but it didn't fizzle out either. It just it's mm-hmm. sort of like the idea is that this these people are still living and there's you know still continuing, and we got to see a little slice of their lives at various points. So I was a little sad when it was over. <laughs> I just liked yeah. I liked it quite a bit. So
1: I, I think I read that. She, I hope I got this right. That she's actually writing a screenplay for this. Oh wow! So maybe we'll get to visit this this world again
0: i hope they find a way to get meryl streep into it
1: <laughs> <that> be awesome? <laughs> that I would, would be great. i would definitely go to that film <laughs> yes so you gave this category a th- what'd you say 3.5 so when you combine all of our scores and remember we're going to talk about our combined scores and then we're going to come back and talk about the ending after we warn you yeah when you combine all of our scores it's a 3.3 3 for this book combined but it's, it's the second one of the, of the year so far where we really had two different ratings. Mine was a 2.6. Yours was a 4.0. Yeah. And that's the second biggest gap in our ratings since Fourth Wing, which I gave a low 2 and you gave a low 4. Yeah. So with that combined score of ours, Tom Lake actually ranks fifth out of mm-hmm. the 14 novels we reviewed this year, Just Below Happy Place. That
0: seems right. By
1: Emily Henry and just half a star above The Five Star Weekend. So it's... Yeah. That seems about right to us intuitively. Uh, Comparatively, our 3.3 compares to a 4.4 average on Amazon, 4.23 on Goodreads, and 4.33 on StoryGraph, which gives it an average social media score of 4.33, which Mm. guess where that puts it? Seventh out of 14.
0: Oh, interesting. When we
1: rank by social media scores. So that... That little alert alarm that you just heard is telling you that we are about to talk about the ending in some detail. That way I can explain what went wrong for me at the end of the book. Are you ready for that?
0: Yeah, so if you don't want to hear the end, go read the book and then come back.
1: Yeah. Okay, what happened? I was furious. I was angry at the end of the book. Wow. Ann Patchett brings up a deeper theme in the middle of the book. Now, i characterize her writing style as cozy. I don't know if that's true of all of her novels, but this one has sort of a cozy feel to it. In other words, not super deep into social issues or problems, unlike, say, Demon Copperhead. Fine, I have no trouble with books like that, but she did bring up a very deep theme in the middle, and that's when her daughter, Emily, who is essentially engaged to Benny down the road, they both want to be...
0: Cherry farmers. Cherry
1: farmers, And she reveals they're not going to have kids. And this is how she puts it, the daughter, Emily, the oldest daughter. It's bad enough having to worry about what's going to happen to the farm. I can't imagine worrying about what would happen to our kids. Laura, the mother, says, every generation believes the world is going to end. And she says, is that true? Did you and dad think it was all going up in a fiery ball? Okay, so there it is not only are they not having kids, but it's because of what's happening in the world. So I was very interested through the course of the novel, how is this going to be, if not resolved, at least handled? Do you remember how she handles it at the end? Yeah. This is where I was livid. Mm. I'll just read it. Very end. We can see everything from here. They're on the orchard. They're actually up in the cemetery portion right. of it, which parallels our town. Exactly. We can see everything from, from here. I would say that There has never been such a beautiful day, but I say that all the time. There is room up here for all of us, meaning the cemetery, for me and for Joe and our daughters, for their partners and their children, because this is the thing about youth. You change your mind. Despite everything we know, there may still be children living on this farm, and someday they will be buried here with us. Sebastian can come too. Where would he be in the world except with his brother here with us? So that's all she does with it. She literally says she's going to change her mind. And I'm like, if you're going to bring up a major issue like climate change and the way it's affecting young people who are actually deciding not to have kids, do not dismiss it by saying, well, they'll change their mind. They're young. We're still going to have grandkids. Everything's going to be fine. That infuriated me. Okay. If you don't want to hand, if you don't want to address the issue, then don't bring it up. But don't dismiss it like that. When this is such a serious issue that people are making life decisions about it, that they're they're afraid to have kids, I found it very dismissive. And it was my one strong feeling in the whole book, so mm-hmm. that's why the score was low in All that right. category for me. Can I react to that? Please do.
0: So I accept your strong reaction, mm-hmm. and I understand that you were angry by that. I didn't find her dismissive. She didn't say, you'll change your mind. She Mm. left it possible that she might change her mind. I find myself in the same position. Mm. My daughter has professed that she may not have children, and that is her choice. Mm. And if she doesn't, then I will love all of her dogs and all of her fur babies (laughs) for the rest of my life. Which she will have. Which she will have. And if she does change her mind, then I will also welcome that. But it's it's a boundary violation for me to do anything more than accept her choice. So I, while I accept your anger, I don't think that it was Laura's story. This was Laura's, Laura's story. Mm-hmm. It, it's not for her to, like, what else could she do but accept her daughter's I don't know, and but leave that's, room?
1: I don't know what she should do, but... Ann Patchett is a very good, very accomplished, very experienced writer. She knows how to handle a theme. This is not it. This is dismissing a theme that she brought up. That's why I reacted so strongly. It's mm. It does come across as dismissive, and it's one of the biggest issues facing all of us right now. And think about what it does to the farm, the oh, orchard. Understand. The climate is changing as we speak. And, I get it. And just like in Our Town, the play... This story is all about intergenerational continuity and change. And this is the biggest thing that we're facing. Is the state of Michigan even going to be able to support Orchards in 20, 30 years?
0: Yeah.
1: That's why I had the strong reaction. And I I was okay giving a one for this category. I gave her threes for the others, more or less.
0: I will point out, however, that a strong reaction indicates there was a strong emotional response. (laughs) So maybe you should have given it a higher score.
1: I don't want to read fiction in order to get angry at the author at the end. (laughs) That's not the strong reaction I'm looking for, but I take your point. The strong reaction is better than none at all.
0: There you go. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next episode when we review Holly by Stephen King. Yay. Until then, keep dreaming, keep flying.
1: Keep laughing, keep crying.
0: And don't stop until you've read them all. I'm
1: not going to stop until I've read them all. <laughs> Even her next book, I'm not that angry. I may read some of her earlier books. I think that'd be a good I think idea. I think that'd be good.